Hello and welcome to On the Farm Pitcher List podcast for everything prospect, dynasty, and minor league related. I am your host, Lamar Gibson. And I'm recording this episode uh, on Mother's Day weekend. It'll be published on the Monday after Mother's Day. So happy Mother's Day to any and all OTF listeners who are mothers out there. In today's episode, with the 2022 MLB Amateur Draft a couple months away, I thought it would be a fun time to look back on a relatively recent first-round draft class and just get an idea of where these guys currently stand four years after they were drafted and what their value may be going forward. I'll do the first half of the first round in this episode, and then we'll finish the rest of the first round and the comp picks in the next episode. So with that said, let's jump right into it with the number one overall pick in 2018's MLB Amateur Draft. That was, of course, Casey Mize, pitcher from Auburn University, going to the Detroit Tigers. Now, Casey Mize debuted in the 2020 pandemic year. Um, Currently, he's rehabbing from an elbow injury, so we're waiting for him to make his return in 2022. And so far in his uh, MLB career, the big question that's followed him is about the strikeouts. So from 2019, when he was in double A until now, we've actually seen Mize have a decrease in his K percentage over time. And at this point, I think Casey Mize is actually more of a high floor, but low ceiling type of value. Um, he's no longer really seen in the community as a definitive SP2 type that can help carry rotation. But I think he slots more into that SP3 tier, good pitcher, not necessarily a great pitcher. Now, as far as uh, what it would, what he could possibly do for a team, I think he'll help your ratios, but the counting stats are still sort of average at best. And moving forward, what we really have to see is, A, can he hold up enough to at least meet that 2022 uh, established high of 150 in a third innings pitched in another season? If he's constantly uh, going under that amount due to injury or, or innings limitations or anything of that nature, then you definitely see his value drop dramatically because now at that point, he's kind of almost giving you a streamer's worth of innings at that point. And it becomes much harder for um, those stats to, to really make any sort of solid impact to your overall team, especially depending on um how your league type is, if it's Roto or, or anything of that nature. But he's still only 25. There can definitely be another level two Mize. We've talked about this previous episodes with pitchers. Um, we really don't see them hit their stride. And, and oftentimes until they're getting into that 26, often even uh, age 27 years until they become a fully developed uh, pitcher there. So there's still a couple of years that we could see Mize change some things I could see him tweaking his pitch mix or even adding a pitch uh, to his his pitch mix in the next couple of years and that helping him trigger a full-on breakout year so if you're looking to buy low and hoping that there's another level for my to unlock while he's uh, on the IL this may actually be the best time to inquire and at least get an idea for the other manager's patience with Mize if they're looking to move him, if they're kind of over having Casey Mize, or if they're still valuing him as that number one overall pick. It's a good time to at least get that idea first and then decide, do you want to take that on or not? With the second pick, the San Francisco Giants took Joey Bart, catcher from Georgia Tech. Bart's uh, yet another player who debuted in 2020. He's had a couple of stints at the major league level, and that was before going into this season where he pretty much inherited the starting job from Buster Posey with Posey's retirement in the offseason. And where he stands now, the hit tool is the question for Bart and even for a catcher. Um, he's had pretty average strikeout and walk rates throughout his minor league career, and once he's been in the major leagues, we've seen those rates become worse in his first couple of stints that I mentioned. Currently, he is sporting a 16.5 walk rate, which is, sounds really, really good for any player type, uh, let alone a catcher. It's almost twice the league average. But because he doesn't hit the hard, the 
because he doesn't hit the ball that hard, that walk rate is really the only thing holding up his OBP above 300 because his hard hit uh, percentage or his hard contact rate, I should say, is 20.7%. And that's um, going off of hard contact as we defined it um, on his player card here at Pitcher List. So, uh, again, it's really almost the OBP is almost all uh coming down to him having that uh, really superior walk rate and not really because of how he hits the actual ball. So going forward, he's going to continue to get every day at bats and that's going to continue until, you know, obviously barring any sort of injury, that's going to continue until Patrick Bailey either starts to push him or until the Giants see that there's another catcher that they might want to go after um, to challenge him. But I think for most fantasy leagues, Bart really doesn't bring much value. Uh, like I said, the only exception might be the OBP, and that's boosted slightly a little bit more by him being a catcher. But even that right now seems only uh, pretty average. Again, he's got the 16.5% walk rate, but his OBP is only at 323. So I don't really know um, how valuable that is. Now, again, if you're in a deep league, um, catcher is going to get real thin incredibly fast. So it definitely um, is better than nothing to probably have him as your starter. But um, if you are looking to upgrade that catcher, I don't think he's it. And if you're in a two-catcher league, um, he's definitely, I think, closer to that second catcher that you want to have versus your starter, um, unless you can pair him with somebody that has really good pop, kind of cobbled together, Frankenstein um, together a a – um, overall starting catcher between him having average OBP and somebody else who might give you um, a, another category such as um, home runs. The next draft pick was by the Philadelphia Phillies. That was the third overall pick, Alec Bohm, third baseman. Uh, coming out of Wichita State University, Boom yet another 2020 debut. Um, uh, of course, uh, kind of came out on fire in 2020 and looked really, really good. And where he stands now, it's been a kind of a roller coaster couple of years for Boom. He went from finishing second in NL Rookie of the Year voting in that 2020 year. And then he's looked at times just absolutely terrible, both at the plate and in the field. Now, after a few hiccups to start 2022, he's back to being around. I would say he hovers around being um, a top 100 hitter overall. He's showing that skill set, even if um, we don't think the production is there. He show, he's showing that ability. And across the board, we are seeing improvements that we want to see to Bohm's underlying stats, his hard contact percentage per his pictureless page. So almost 36%. It's 10% higher than the league average. So the question really becomes going forward, who's the real bone? If it's the 2020 and 2022 version, then you're talking about a very valuable player in pretty much every conventional league type and size. If it's not, obviously, if it's the 2021 version, you're talking about somebody who is pretty much waiver wire material. Um, and just isn't giving you anything back as a fantasy player. The other questions that remain, will he continue on at third base? Obviously, the conventional wisdom when he came out was that there was going to be a move to first eventually just due to his size um, and some limitations in his range. Now, with some of the errors that he's made in the field, um, I think there's kind of an increased call for him to finally get moved to first, but of course he's being blocked currently. So I definitely think there's a chance that he moves off position in the next five years, but he's always been hit first anyway. So that's not really a concern like it would be if he was more of a defensive value at third base. The part of him moving to first though, is then the uh, hit profile changes a little bit. He obviously has the OBP skills. He has some run creation skills. We talked about his hard contact percentage, but is he going to be a 25 plus home run guy? 
like you kind of want to target as your first baseman, especially as your main first baseman. I don't know necessarily that he is. Um, and I guess the question becomes, if he does become that, what skills or what other um, statistics may uh, decrease in a negative sense while he's going for more power? So do you see him increase his strikeout percentage more, just the batting average and OBP drop because he's looking to swing more often or at least um, at more pitches to elevate them? So that's a, a something else that is just a, a theoretical, a, a unanswerable question at this point in time. So perhaps he's not a 25-plus home run guy, and that will move him down a tier comparatively. Uh, but I think for dynasty purposes, just overall, if you're looking to buy low uh, for Alec Baum, I think that window seems to have sealed shut, at least for the time being. If we see another dip in play, then perhaps it opens up as people start to become more concerned about his consistency. But uh, at least to start the season, I think April was really the time to do so. Uh, and, and I think now that he's gotten pretty hot, if you have a manager in your league that already has Boehm on his team, unless you're looking to, to make a major move, a really big uh, package or, you know, a really big deal, I don't think you're going to get uh, Alec Baum and definitely not for under the uh, under the value. The number four pick that we're going to talk about, Nick Madrigal, of course, was drafted by the White Sox. Um, out of the Oregon State um, sort of powerhouse in college baseball, he was billed as an infielder at second base and shortstop, but um, just his range in his arm, it kind of always seemed like he was going to be a second baseman at the major league level. Uh, yet another 2020 debut, he did hurt his shoulder and missed time during that season. If I remember you serves me correctly, I think if it wasn't a stolen base, it was him going like from first to third, um, but it was him sliding into a base and he ended up injuring his shoulder, missing time there. Of course, last year he tore his hamstring, um, trying to beat out a ground ball to first and ended up missing the remainder of the year. He ends up be being traded in the really rare Chicago Crosstown deal that got Craig Kimbrell sent to the White Sox and it sent Madrigal to the Cubs. And now coming into the league, Madrigal was always kind of seen like sort of supercharged David Fletcher. He doesn't have any power at all. Some decent speed, nothing really incredible. It was a second baseman's uh, profile as far as defensively, but the carrying tool that he had, he very rarely strikes out, um, makes contact at a ridiculously high rate. And so in OBP leagues, especially that seemed to boost him uh, because of that contact rate, However, since his return from the most recent injury and now that he's with the Cubs, we're actually seeing some of the limits of that batting uh, profile as currently he's batting 222, 273, 264. And the main red flags here, uh, his ground ball rate is at 67% and he has a negative 1.2 launch angle. Yes, you heard me correctly. It's a negative launch angle. So uh, the other main part of this is he does not work many walks at all. His rate is, his walk rate is almost 4% under what the league average is. So you have a player with no power. He's average speed because he comes in in the 54th percentile for sprint speed per savant. And he's swinging often and everything he's making contact with right now is going straight into the ground. So he is not like he's Billy Hamilton. He's not hitting a bunch of ground balls and trying to beat him out. He's not um, somebody that is going to um, be able to go gap to gap because, again, there's there's no power, no launch, launch angle there. So really, and he's, again, he's not working any walks. So it's not like he's somebody that's just going to get on because he's being ultra selective. Um, there's really no need to seek him out at this point. I think if you roster Nick Madrigal, it's probably going to be in deeper leagues. Um, again, it's probably going to be OBP uh, relevant, way more than batting average relevant. And I would say to the managers that have him rostered, first and foremost, if you're in a deep league, then you probably have him rostered um, to be either in your middle infield slot if you have one or to be uh, coming off your bench as your backup. 
uh, second baseman. I doubt he has shortstop eligibility anymore uh, in any sort of league. So it's really second base only. And you're doing that really because you don't see much uh, on the wire. I would advise you to look again. Um, The other thing about this is the Cubs. So looking at just the team environment, the Cubs are in this really odd transition period. They're not going full on tank. But we know, obviously, after the great sell-off of last year, that they're not going to be that competitive, um, quite honestly, with what they're putting together in their minor leagues, which looks pretty interesting, especially from the hitting side. I don't know that Madrigal is going to be around when they've kind of finished assembling those pieces and are ready to, to legitimately compete. So that's something else to be mindful of is he could definitely be getting moved on to a third team in the next couple of years um, from a dynasty perspective, just because, you know, if they get just one of those middle infielders at Howard, Kevin Made, um, any of those guys to hit a little bit better than what they've been doing in the minor leagues, why not boost them up and, and get them into the majors? Now, those two guys, uh, Made and Howard, are, are quite a ways off because they're still in um, A ball, but just saying in, in general, uh, Magical isn't necessarily a foundational type uh, from my perspective. So just keep in mind that the team context can sh- shift yet again on him. And uh, getting back to looking around on the waiver wire, even in a deep league, I will look at um, uh, Tyro Estrada. Uh, I would even take a look at somebody like Andrew Velasquez of the Angels over Madrigal or paired with Madrigal um, because even those though, even though those two aren't necessarily locked into their positions, Estrada maybe a little bit more. We'll have to see when uh, Listella comes back fully from injury, if they're going to keep Estrada in the starting lineup. Uh, Velasquez is currently manning the angel shortstop position, but that's kind of been a turnstile uh, of, of not very goodness, uh, kind of abysmal, uh, play so far through the season but currently those are the guys there and I think they'll give you something that's net positive more often than not Estrada has a little bit of pop so he can give you some home run power he has positional flexibility in most leagues so being able to do shortstop and second base which again Madrigal um, has pretty much lost that sort of flexibility so you can at least move him around Velasquez's glove will keep him around at shortstop uh, and he seems to be able to grab at least a handful of stolen bases. I believe he's at four as of the recording right now. So he might be able to get up to, you know, 10 if he stays on pace in a full season, that's more than you're going to get from Madrigal. So if you're super pressed up the middle, you could even see if you could get both Estrada and Velasquez and sort of, again, Frankenstein them together to get a sort of replacement level middle infielder. Um, and I still think that that's more than what you're going to get from Madrigal as it stands right now. Now, if that gets turned around, if some of those um, ground balls starts to find some grass, if uh, he starts to be able to elevate just a little bit to, I don't know, a, a 1.2, a positive 1.2 launch angle um, and dink and, duck, uh, dink and dunk his way around, then you know, maybe we see everything rise and he kind of gets back to being the player he was in 2020 and even in, in college. But currently, I, I just don't I don't see really any value in Nick Madrigal at all. I'm um, going to number five. We have the Cincinnati Reds selecting Jonathan India as a third baseman from the University of Florida. Of course, this is the reigning NL rookie of the year coming uh, into the majors last year. And it's very interesting because his 2019 minor league season wasn't really that amazing, but going into what became the pandemic year, but before we we knew it was going to be everything shut down, um, there was kind of a creeping sense that, especially with the holes that were in the Reds lineup at the time, that India could come up and at least grab the starting job, if not at third base, because Suarez was still a third baseman for the Reds at the time, but maybe at second base, maybe taking that from Moustakas um, and at least being serviceable, right? Of course, we did have the pandemic year. We had um, a shortened sense of, of baseball. India doesn't get that chance then, but just what we were hearing about what he was able to do kind of in the 
um, complex or, or, you know, at the Cincinnati Red site, uh, it's still sounded positive going into 2021. He became kind of a favorite um, sort of invest now type of prospect if you if you could get him. Um, currently, I'll say some of the value may have may have decreased simply because he's second base only uh, i would imagine in pretty much all leagues so he did have some of that third base eligibility um last year and just having lost that flexibility that always um is nice to have especially for a young guy to be able to move him around in your roster um he did have a below average april and i guess it's kind of hard to say below average we don't necessarily know what his um total sort of career is going to look like but it was below what he had performed at in 2021 this past april um and currently his obp and his counting stats are kind of at league average right around league average um uh, output and if we look at the main corpus of that there's an extremely reduced walk rate he's at two percent versus last year's 11 percent. so that's definitely going to be a negative impact to that OBP and um, there's been an increase in what I will kind of, I've been trying to figure out how to, how to name this or phrase this. It's kind of his protect rate. Um, And just to describe what I'm talking about. So it's, I'm not talking about his O swing. So there has been an increase in, in that O swing percentage or chase rate, whichever one you prefer that's increased from 24.1 to 35.2, but this is pitcher list specific. So on his pitcher list, player card we actually have um his o swing percentage in two strike counts so this is when a hitter is typically going to be in protect mode right swinging outside the zone in two strike counts and that's gone from 23 percent for india last year to 31.3 percent this year so we see him swinging more at pitches that are out of the zone more often in these two strike counts and typically, as we should know, those are going to be pitches that are way more valuable to the pitcher than to the hitter. Sliders down and away, change-ups on the corner, fastballs above the letters, etc. So these are pitches that should be minimizing damage if the hitter even does make contact. And he's swinging more often at those. So kind of getting himself out to an extent more often with his approach here. So moving forward... I would be keeping an eye on those two stats. If we see positive regression, then we should see a Jonathan India that is closer to form, closer to the rookie of the year that we had last year. But if not, suddenly I think he becomes kind of that third tier second baseman. Um, He's still probably going to get every day at bats, but he's pretty much giving you, you know, at or slightly above replacement player fantasy output. So, a couple of stats for you to watch if you um, are a manager who has India rostered and if you're targeting India, just something to um, be mindful of before you start putting deals out there. Again, just trying to help you value India a little bit better so you're not just going off of 2021's value, but looking at where he is right now um, and just get an idea of, of what could come next. Again, it's very young career uh, and uh we're still, you know, he's still figuring out a lot of things at the major league level. So um, I'm very curious to see if as May comes and then getting into the summer, uh, if that's going to turn around. Obviously, he doesn't have much protection in that Reds lineup now. Uh, Castellanos is gone. Votto is is looking like he's is pretty much a wrap for him. And uh, Winker obviously gone as well. So uh, that's another um, uh, piece of this puzzle is some of the um, bats that he had around him last year to help kind of protect him and help him become that run creator aren't there anymore. So what does that do? That means that he's kind of one of the best bats that they have. Pitchers are going to attack him a lot more. Um, and, and we're kind of seeing that again with that two strike um, statistic there. Uh, this guy, number six, New York Mets, uh, if you're following along at home, you should know, it's Jerry Kellenick. Uh, he's been much discussed in the past two years. I don't really have anything new to offer. It seems like he's going to just be a divisive fantasy player for the time being, at least. 
So either you like what he does and you think there's still that next level and you're just waiting or you're highly unimpressed and you're not going anywhere close to him. It's your call. I don't really have anything more to add. We're going to move right into number seven. That's Ryan Weathers uh, coming out of uh, Laredo High School, going to the San Diego Padres. Weathers actually made his debut in the playoffs of 2020 versus the Dodgers. He pitched one and one third inning um, and then kind of made his his more full-fledged uh, debut last year. And the original thought was that Weathers should be a starter and kind of uh, potentially a good middle rotation guy um, as his ceiling. Um, but shortly it seemed apparent that his stuff played up better, seemed to play up better coming out of the bullpen. And he's really been backing bounce. He's really been bouncing back and forth between those roles of, uh, you call it sort of middle. He's been bouncing back and forth between coming out of the bullpen and starting mop up duty, etc. Um, at both the major and minor league level this season, Weathers has been with triple A El Paso starting all six games in which he's appeared. Um, the major red flag that I've seen for Weathers, he's just hasn't been able to generate strikeouts at a high enough rate to really be valuable um, in either role. So in 2021, he had 18% K rate so far this year at triple A sitting at 14.6. And without him being able to generate strikeouts, he really doesn't have any other um, sort of hitter suppressive skills. He, he walks batters way too often when he is in the zone and not walking. He's getting hit hard and getting hit often. So that's just a recipe for disaster, really, as any sort of pitcher. Um, at this point, it seems like he might actually benefit from maybe a change in scenery, uh, receiving some different coaching, some, some different development. It's important to remember he was a prep draftee. So now he's still only 22 years old, a lot to learn. There could be a lot more chapters in this book, but it doesn't seem likely that there's any more positive chapters that'll be written while he's with San Diego. Um, I'd keep an eye on him as being part of a potential trade, especially if he's going to any of those um, pitching factories, those turnaround artists, we know him, Cleveland, Houston, Tampa, et cetera. If he goes there, um, then he becomes somebody that at least I'm, I'm – sort of bookmarking become a little bit more interested in seeing if he can turn things around. But otherwise uh, there's just, again, there's nothing here. Um, so far, he's really just wait and see. I leave him on the wire. Uh, if you roster him, uh, I would imagine maybe it's a very deep league that you roster him and you're looking for, uh, I don't know. I, I don't really know why you would roster him in, in any sort of league at this point. Quite honestly, I, I'd say drop him and be okay with picking him up once you see anything positive at the major league level. But it, there's nothing there for you to keep him on your roster. It's been um, four years thus far. Let him let him continue to mature through the minors again. See if he gets flipped um, in a, in a major league deal uh, to go somewhere else. And then, um, you know, let the chips fall where they may. Uh, number eight, and so we, we're going to have some guys that we're also going to skip just because they're not baseball players of, of note. And this is number eight, and no disrespect, but this is uh, Carter Stewart, who was a prep pitcher that uh, was selected by the Braves. He did not sign. I'm not familiar with Carter Stewart. We're going to move on. Number nine is a fun name, but there's nothing to dig into. Of course, number nine was Kyler Murray coming out of the University of Oklahoma, uh, selected by the Athletics. Very obviously, he did not sign, moved on in his career in football. So that lands us to number 10. Uh, that's the Pittsburgh Pirates selecting Travis Swaggerty from the University of South Alabama. Uh, so Swaggerty is the first signed draft pick that we've gone through in our list that has not made his major league debut. And, and this would be kind of an interesting theme to keep an eye on. He missed the majority of 2021 after he dislocated his shoulder. And so now where he stands is he went from number 10 overall pick, very highly uh, uh, rated kind of power speed guy. And now he's looking at a very crowded uh, farm system when it comes to outfielders. They have quite a few in Pittsburgh, 
Uh, as far as outfield prospects, that's not even going into the O'Neill Cruz situation, which is a whole nother conversation. And they seem to kind of starting to work their way through them. So obviously, Brian Reynolds uh, got selected a few years ago. Um, prior to Swaggy, he's established himself as an everyday player. We're still looking to see him turn things around this particular year, but he seems to be cemented there for the time being. Uh, they've given Jared Oliva multiple chances. That didn't pan out, so they moved on from him. Uh, now, Swaggerty is, is starting to kind of rise up as being one of the next possible outfield prospects for them to give a chance to. But unfortunately, he's not really taking the bull by the horns. This year, he's posting a triple slash of 194, 286, 258, and that's at AAA Indianapolis. Um more concerningly and kind of interestingly his 2022 numbers at triple a mirror his 2018 performance in a ball almost to the t uh when i was looking at triple slash and also even the counting stats they almost were exactly the same and that's not a good thing 2018 he was 20 years old uh he had just finished tearing up low a ball before he went to a ball and obviously the um the levels were a little bit different prior to 2020 but he you know he was in an adjustment period when he was putting up you know a 190 ish batting average as a 20 year old in 2018 that's understandable that's that's part of the development now he's 24 right this type of performance is not what you want to see especially at that high level of competition so now i'm beginning to think that Swaggerty may actually be one of those developmental victims of 2020 and that missing an entire year of at-bats and just overall reps may have set him back in kind of innumerable ways. And I've hinted towards this in some other episodes. We may never truly know um, who all was impacted and how, but you can kind of see if you look at certain prospects, especially highly rated prospects, and you look at their 2018s, 2019s, and then they're 2021s. And now and you, when you see these sort of differences or steps back, um, whether it be hitter or pitcher, you start to wonder what happened in 2020 that, you know, set them backwards. Was it just the missed time? Was it being away from the game? Did they slip into some old habits, some bad habits? And I think Swaggerty might be one of those players. At this exact moment, I don't see him bringing much to the table. Again, he was supposed to be power and speed. He's not really showing either one at a high level. Um, currently, he's on the seven-day IL in the minors for concussion. And, and perhaps once he returns, he'll start to warm up. But he's another guy. I let him sit on the waivers. Or if he's on another team's roster, he can stay there. For me, there's, again, other bats in Pittsburgh. Jack Sawinski has gotten his call up. Cal Mitchell is pressing to get called up as well. They seem to be kind of surpassing Swaggy right now in terms of development. So that's definitely uh we can wait and see. And I can wait for a good long time with Swaggerty. Like I want to see a couple of months in a row of Swaggerty doing well at AAA before I'm looking to pull a trigger on, on making a move for him. Number 11, another person that we should know. We don't really need to talk through much. Um, that's Grayson Rodriguez coming out of Central Heights High School in Texas, selected, of course, by the Orioles. Not really much to talk up uh, about Rodriguez at this point. Um, as of this recording, we did hear that George Kirby has been promoted. So with Kirby being called up and he actually did pitch on Sunday, Gray Rod is kind of the last of, of that top 10 uh, pitching prospect uh, sort of cohort. Um, he It's him and I guess Max Meyer are the last, like, high end of of those top of that top 10 that have yet to pitch in the majors so um this is kind of sitting and waiting at this point in baltimore of course with rodriguez even when he's not all the way on he still manages to generate strikeouts he's limiting damage so we're, we're just eager to see him at the major league level number 12 is uh the toronto blue jays selecting Jordan Groshans, uh, also a prep baller out of Texas. This is an interesting case. So Groshans is our second draftee, did not make his debut, so along with Swaggerty. Um, he was drafted, really seen 
as having a high end hit tool, especially for a prep baller. And the consensus kind of seemed to be that after the sort of initial trio of, of pro ballers sons, so Biggio Bichette and of course um, Vlad Jr., Groshans is kind of coming in as the cavalry, right? He's kind of like the fourth wheel of of that um, quartet. And the original thoughts seemed to be that third base and left field would kind of get split between him and Biggio. One would take third, one would take left. And even though Biggio has pretty much fallen out of favor in Toronto, we haven't seen Groshans get the call as of yet. And it's not for lack of production. Um, at every level since he's been drafted, he's been putting up really good numbers. His current line uh, at AAA Buffalo is three, 348, 393, 391. Now that 391 indicates what has been the sole major issue for Groshans through his pro career. And that's kind of a disturbing lack of slugging. His approach has allowed him to track balls well through the zone. He has a contact-oriented swing. It's good for springing balls around, but he hasn't really been able to develop consistent lift to the balls. And obviously, I don't have launch angle or any stat cast numbers, but just looking at his full season percentages. So his full season percentages look like this. In 2019 at A-ball, his ground ball percentage was 46.6. His fly ball percentage was 22.4. 2021, he's in double A. Ground ball is 39.7%. Fly ball is 40.7%. That's also the year he hit 23 doubles and seven home runs, which are both career highs for him so far in his pro career. This season, 2022, Roshans currently has a 31.8 ground ball percentage and a 27.3 fly ball percentage. And he has one double and zero home runs. Now, he did suffer a foot injury that caused him to begin the year in low A ball um, rehabbing. So he's behind in number of plate appearances, but still the fact seems to remain that Groshans could be limited by not providing enough pop at premium position. So neither shortstop nor third base, both in real life or from a fantasy standpoint. So moving forward, he still ranked very highly in the or, so they still seem to think highly of him and, and scouts seem to agree. Uh, but the other major challenge is, of course, where is he going to play? So as with most contenders, pretty much every position is locked into place in Toronto. And even the bench bats seem to be kind of in a known rotation. Bo Bichette is going to be shortstop for as long as possible. Uh, Groshans has been redirected to third. But, of course, from the major league level, the Blue Jays covered that potential hole by bringing in Matt Chapman. Santiago uh, Santiago Espinal has been manning most of second base. Biggio seems to be getting the leftover appearances. Outfield, there's really no spots. Uh, all three posts are well manned. Of course, you have Springer. You have Tiasco Hernandez. You have uh, Ramel uh, Tapia, who was added. And... He's incredibly underwhelming as a hitter. He does have a decent glove. And also, he's a left-handed bat where Groshans is right-handed. And, of course, the Blue Jays are trying to get a little bit more diverse in how their roster is constructed from that standpoint. So, I don't think it's necessarily out of the realm to see Groshans possibly getting traded if or when the Blue Jays decide that they need one more player to take the East pennant and move into a better playoff position overall. Uh, I still think there's some value in Groshans uh, and it could potentially grow. I would discourage people from getting overly excited. And like I said before, it's likely that he either ends up in a trade, which could be a, a net positive for him or um, kind of the, the more worst scenario of the two he gets shuttled sort of up and down and just gets moved. He doesn't really get any sort of solid footing, solid at-bats because there's just no place to play him consistently. Um, I still like him for a deep dynasty league, 16 teamers and up. If you have like 20 plus minor league spots, anything shallower than that, again, you can let him go until you see him getting a clear opportunity at a starting job in the major leagues. So he's pressing his case again, the the hit tool is there uh he seems to be um 
least I haven't heard anything negatively from um, the defensive standpoint with him at third. Uh, you know, can he can he show power? I think if he can show power, suddenly that changes the equation for what Toronto wants to do with him. Uh, I think right now, if he stays really more contact based, the value is suppressed and Blue Jays don't really feel the need to move him up and even moving him out. I think they can be a little bit more selective because teams aren't necessarily going to be may not necessarily be, I should say, champing at the bit to to grab him. So Groshans is an interesting player to to see in dynasty standpoint uh, if you roster him. I don't again, I would hope it's in one of these deeper league setups. Um, and I don't I don't necessarily see a reason for you to panic. If you have a good deal out there for him, feel free to pull the trigger. If not, continue to hold, see what happens. Um, and on the other side, again, not necessarily somebody that you have to go and seek out and get right now, but it could be interesting to just kind of ask around. Could be a, a, a valuable part to add to a larger deal if you're working with a manager who has Groshans on the roster. Now moving to number 13, that is the Miami Marlins selecting Connor Scott, another prep ball player, um, this time coming out of Henry B. Plant High School. And uh, Scott, yet another prep baller, yet another player who hasn't yet um, made their major league debut. Scott was actually traded this offseason from one outfield heavy farm system in Miami to another one, uh, as we previously discussed in Pittsburgh. Um, currently, he's at double A and he is putting up a pretty decent uh, triple slash 304, 377, 449. Doesn't really show a particular carrying tool. He has one home run, five doubles, does have five stolen bases. Um, his Woba is actually at a career high of 372. His fly ball percentage is at a career high so far of 43.4. And again, without having any stat desk, and again, without having any stat cast data, um, it does make me wonder if he's hitting the ball a little bit harder than he had been and if he's improved his launch angle some with that fly ball percentage um so moving forward we talked about what's going on in pittsburgh as far as that outfield um prospects scott's gonna have to do something to stand out from the crowd and that's something that he hadn't been able to do in miami with their plethora of outfielders um and, and outfield prospects so I could see him profiling as a fourth outfield and now DH type in the NL. Uh, but again, the question becomes, if he gets to the major league level, how many at-bats is he going to see in a season as that type? And if you're talking about less than 300 at-bats, then I just don't know if he'll put up counting stats that'll be valuable enough in most fantasy formats if he can get over that and get into a strict platoon. Um, and obviously, if he can get to a strong side platoon, then there might be something here. Again, I don't see uh, a strong carrying tool per se, but he might just be a jack of all trades type, somebody that can hit um, enough power, maybe get you around 12 home runs, get you around, you know, seven to 10 stolen bases and have a decent enough average. If you're in the average league, you know, maybe 240 ish um, to, to not, not hurt you, even though he's not necessarily helping you. And OBP, maybe he can get, you know, keep it around the three tens. Um, if you're, you know, if you're lucky, maybe in the three, the low three twenties. And again, same thing. He's not helping your OBP per se, but he's definitely not uh, being a strong detractor away from it. And it's just a good, you know, bat to have uh, coming off your bench. That that's kind of a, a best case scenario outcome, I think, right now with the way he's profiling. And then the worst case, unfortunately, is just he, he just doesn't make it through. Um, and, and that's definitely a possibility, like I said, just being um, in a very thick, uh, crowded field. It's, it's hard to stick out sometimes. And especially, um, you know, Pittsburgh obviously went and, and got him as part of that trade. And that was the jacob stallings trade if i again if memory is serving me correct so i would imagine pittsburgh sees something there but 
uh, he also could just be a, a little bit of, of additional depth in case some of their homegrown guys uh, fall through. Uh, number 14, we have Logan Gilbert uh, from the Mariners. Not really going to get into Gilbert. He's a guy you should kind of know by now. Number 15, we have Cole Wynn. And I wasn't going to go into Cole Wynn either. Uh, Wynn was uh, selected out of high school, but had a separate conversation in the pictureless uh, server um, over the weekend where we were talking about Cole Wynn and um, just made me you know, take a, a look at him. He was somebody I had actually drafted and my FYPD, I later ended up trading him, but um, somebody I, I thought highly of and, and thought had a pretty interesting skill set and, and, you know, a good ceiling. And I just happened to take a look at his page and I have no idea what's happened to Cole Wynn. Where is his strikeouts gone? Um, specifically, something that I think was definitely underreported um, in my mind was his percentages at AAA last year once he got the promotion. Um, and now this year pretty much have, have just been a drastic precipitous decrease. His, um, his K minus walk rate at AAA last year was 13.9%, which is not very good at all. This year, the K percentage is at 15.8 K minus walk is 0.9. K per nine, which I know we tend to hate, but that's 6.39. His left on base percentage is 62.2%. So he's not stranding enough runners. And it's not the home run ball. It's not like he's giving up a bunch of homers. He's just walking way too many batters. He's not getting any strikeouts. He's giving up a lot of runs. As of this recording, he had a start that was kind of a marquee matchup on Saturday between him and Dre Jameson. Um, uh, and the D-backs triple-A uh, team now with Jameson being promoted to triple-A recently. And so that was seen as like, you know, two really good um, prospect pitchers going against each other. The line for Cole Wynn, eight earned runs, six hits, six walks, and a wild pitch on four innings pitched overall. I am speechless. Number 16, Matthew Liberator going to the Rays. Of course, he was later traded to St. Louis. Libertor is somebody I don't think we have to get into too deeply. Uh, again, he's somebody, he came out of high school. I think at this point, he's kind of become a little bit boring. I was telling somebody uh, in the Reddit AMA uh, on Friday that, you know, he, he seems like he's kind of being treated as sort of boring in the fantasy community, but I still think he's uh, very fantasy relevant and valuable. Um, probably going to be one of the next players to get a call, I would imagine. Uh, I just don't see him being a top end rotation guy. I think he's more SP three is kind of his ceiling. I think he's more of a back end guy, but still, again, I think there's value there. Um, we know the St. Louis, they have a decent enough team around him, good defense. And I think a, a good enough uh, development program that once he gets to the major league level, again, am I, am I tripping over myself to get him? Maybe not. Again, I'm interested. If I have him rostered, I feel good about that. If I need pitching help uh, or, pit, you know, I'm, I'm looking to bolster my young pitching, he's somebody that I might target um, just because he's not, uh, he doesn't come with a super high price tag. I, I don't believe he should come with a super high price tag. So you might be able to negotiate something within reason, especially if you're looking to rebuild. He's kind of a good low end piece to help re- rebuild without having to give up, you know, a ton to get him. Uh, I would imagine at least in, in most leagues from a redraft standpoint, I know we don't talk too much redraft here when we're talking about prospects. And this is kind of the reason why from a redraft uh, standpoint, I wouldn't necessarily see him. I, I keep an eye on him and see how he does when he does get called up this year, he might be a good target for next year in a redraft league. And then we're going to end today's podcast at number 17. So I know it wasn't even, but we have some comp picks that we're going to talk about, some interesting names as well that we're going to talk about in next week's episode. So um, we actually are going to stop here at number 17, and that is Jordan Adams of the Los Angeles Angels, another prep baller, another uh, player that has not made his debut Adams has always been seen as incredibly athletic, but not necessarily a hitter. 
uh, with the best technique. And that's kind of seems to be the angels way of drafting when they're drafting hitters, just guys that are super athletic, um, can make a ton of plays out in the field. But from a hitting standpoint, it's, it's a lot of, if you groove a pitch, they can do something with it, but they're not to, to use the old school term. They're not necessarily looking hitterish at the, um, in the batter's box. So Adams is having a turnaround season at a high a, his K and walk rates are the best of his career. Still waiting for the power to show up. Um, and he might be a guy that could possibly become like a double digit home run threat. He does have five stolen bases. So that speed and athleticism is playing up well this year. So going forward, there's two ways to look at Adam's development this year, specifically on the positive note, he's finally showing some patient, uh, a patient approach. He's cutting down on strikeouts. He's increasing the value of his walk rate, and that helps to charge up his OBP. However, he's still hitting a prodigious number of ground balls. And even with his speed, you're hitting ground balls instead of line drives. It's always going to be a recipe for outs. And, it's lowering his overall offensive production. And at this point, it's taken him three tries to finally look like he's kind of cracking the nut of high A ball. Now he's 22 years old. And if we look at baseball reference, and if you guys remember, I talked about this being a nice little uh, tidbit that I like to look at when I'm trying to figure out age level. And I don't always just look at straight age and straight level. I like to go into baseball reference and look at this particular stat. His The bulk of his performance this year, he's been dominating younger pitchers and he's continuing to struggle against the more experienced ones. So to me, that shows that, yeah, you know, it, it's almost like a super senior. This, he's had three years in a row at high A. He's figuring out the young guys. These are the guys that are 19 years old, maybe 20, typically a year or so removed uh, from high school if they were uh, a prep draft pick, um, maybe a year uh, removed from college. He's 22. He's been in the minors for some time since he was a teen, obviously. He's essentially picking on those guys, but people that are more comparable, his peers age-wise and experience-wise, he's still struggling greatly. So he's firmly in the prove it again bucket. He's going to have to show me that he can do this at double A and above before I'm starting to actually buy in that Jordan Adams has turned things around and and become actually fantasy valuable. Otherwise, he's going to be, you know, uh, the the older guy. Um, He's going to be the Wooderson. If if you know your Dayston Confused references, he's going to be the Wooderson of the minor leagues um, just hanging around. While, you know, these other pitchers stay the same age, so to speak. So on that note, we're going to end there. Uh, If you are following along, you know who we're going to be talking about on the back end of this draft class. Some very, very interesting names uh, really across the across the board, including those comp picks. And we'll talk about that in our next episode. What I want to do before we move into our mailbag portion is we're going to take a quick break pay some bills, and then we're going to come back with a couple of questions to answer from the mailbag. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show all right, and we are back. And like I mentioned before, we're going to get into mailbag. We have a couple of questions that were sent to me. And again, I apologize um, for it being kind of delayed. These are questions from 
uh, April, and I'm just now getting a chance to to get to them. But appreciate your patience and continue to send in mailbag questions to me. So we have this from Twitter. This is from Helmut Cormalis. And the question is, what do you think of these two pitchers? Uh, Hayden Wisniewski from the Yankees, Davis Daniel of the Angels. Um, I'm going to start with Davis Daniel. So Daniel actually jumped on my radar last year. He was a guy that moved through um, multiple different levels for the Angels in, in one season, started at high A, ended up all the way at triple A. He seems to be okay, not great. He really dominated the lower levels um, or lower to mid levels. He dominated high A as well as double A looked really good there. And then triple A is where he started to run into trouble. We see the ERA start to go up. He did have a really high BABIP, so you wonder how much of that was just some bad luck. Um, but things like his FIP and XFIP still, even that um, was super high, almost twice what he was pulling in at those other levels. So this year we look and he's pretty much, um, it's actually a great snapshot because he's pitched almost the same amount of innings at AAA this year as he did last year, faced um, just about the same number of batters as well. And we now we start to kind of get a sense. The um, strikeout percentage is just about non-existent, uh, but his um, ERA is a bit better. FIP is still pretty bad. Right now it's 5.89. Um, his ex-FIP, according to Fangraphs, is 6.28, so not stellar there either. For Davis Daniel, I, I don't see him being an impact guy uh, as a starter for the Angels, um, and I don't think he throws hard enough to really be an impact arm out of the bullpen either. Uh, so quite honestly, I, I don't think there's much to be had for Daniel unless we see, you know, some sort of tweak in, in, in delivery or something in the offseason that gets him to play up uh, a pitch um, to, to make it more of a plus pitch than what he already offers. But as it stands right now, he might get some major league innings just because the Angels are kind of starved for any sort of pitching and they have so many different guys in the minors. I, I can start to see them start to give some guys uh, their cups of coffee, but I, I definitely am not tripping over myself to get Davis Daniel. Hayden Wisniewski, however, is somebody that I am very interested in. I still haven't come to a point where I know if he's going to be a starter or not, but Wisniewski's numbers have looked tremendous. And if you've watched any of his starts, um, he looks the part as well. He's been able to rack up strikeouts at a very high rate and um overall i think uh, if you think back to um episodes that we had with nick richards as he talked about with um he was talking about jp sears but i think it applies to west nesk as well we know the yankees are, are going to need pitching um some some pitching help sometime this year whether it be due to injury or production or a mixture of both and i think west nesky could definitely step in is he going to be great? I'm not necessarily saying that, but I think he does well with getting strikeouts, not walking batters, limiting runs. Again, am I tripping over myself to get him? No, but I definitely see more value with Wesneski than I do with Daniel. Um, and it's a possibility, again, that I see a stronger possibility, I should say, with Wesneski of him providing some re some relief um, value as you know, maybe, maybe a Merp or something along those lines um, where he can come get, you know, two, three innings and just help you out with your ratios and counting stats that way, racking up, you know, three to five strikeouts, limiting some walks, not, not giving up any earned runs and just helping you out from that standpoint. So two interesting names, uh, like I said, Daniel, I'm, I'm not interested in really at all unless I see something different. And like I said, the off season was Nesky have a little bit more time for, but again, I'm trying to put him in his proper value, which is more so back in the rotation guy, um, spot starter bullpen, uh, you know, multi inning relief guy. But in that, in that bucket, I think, you know, he, especially in deep leagues, 
he's a name that I want to pay attention to. He's probably available on the waiver wire. I say don't have to necessarily go pick him up right now, but if and when he does get that promotion to the majors, you know, give him a couple of outings. And if it's positive, then that's a guy that you want to go and grab. So with that, that is the episode. Thanks again for mailbag questions. Continue to send them my way. Uh, and again, you can find me on Twitter and that's at inside fastball, capital I, capital F. You can send them in via email to inside fastball newsletter at gmail.com. Um, if you are on PL plus in our server, we do have a podcast mailbag um, channel so you can you can tag me and send questions my way that way as well as always i want to remind you listeners that you can find this podcast and all of our picture list pods on the picture list network podcast page they're all available in the podcast section of picture list for you to find listen and subscribe again you can find me on twitter at inside fastball capital i capital f happy mother's day to you all i hope you enjoy the rest of your day